Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Ephesians chapter number one, after I ramble. Ephesians chapter number one and verse number 15, starting. The Bible says, wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of his wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him the eyes of your understanding being enlightened that ye may know what is the hope of his calling what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us word who believe according to the working of his mighty power which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come and have put all things under his feet, gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. This evening, my subject matter on part four tonight will be this it's just kind of a command an admonition no k-n-o-w no god no god let's pray together father i come to you tonight thank you lord for the privilege of being able to come to a house of worship god and without any lord anything that would keep me from it to be able to raise hands of worship Lift my voice in praise and adoration. To be able to be taught, Lord, by your word and look into your word. Pray God bless your people, Lord, who have come tonight. They've deemed, Lord, this service and the teaching of your word important enough to their life that they showed up to be here. I pray, God, that you would bless them. Don't disappoint them. God, and if this is not a tool for their present day, let it be a word perhaps for their tomorrow or somewhere in their future they'll be able to delve into the archives of Lord Jesus of these services and say I need that right now God for my life help us Jesus tonight God in this Jesus name that I pray amen and amen everybody say amen amen you may be seated we have looked at and there is an, it's an impossibility to sum up, okay, the past three lessons. I'm not even going to endeavor to do that, okay. <clears throat> if I change my mind somewhere along the way, you'll know it. But we have just went through a series of verses prior to the section we are getting to right now. If you will remember from like verse 3 to about verse number 14, in the Greek language was one sentence. And again, that poses and gives us a little understanding why it's so difficult to try to walk through what was one sentence we're trying to you know break down the meaning of all of that 
But Paul, in the, the, the former part of the scripture, as we have seen before, has went through quite an elaborate time of giving praise, offering praise and thanksgiving unto the Lord. And last week we uh, reviewed some of the fringe benefits of being in the church, some of the fringe benefits of being a part of the church. And now that, that Paul has spoke to the church at Ephesus about those fringe benefits, some of the perks, if you will, of being in the church, and he's offered praise unto God for all these things that he has done, we see now he turns a corner, and now he is offering up prayer to God for the church. So he, is, he has praised God for the fringe benefits of being in the church, and now he is praying uh, to God for the church. So, and with those prayers, Paul's doing something. You know, a lot of times whenever we get in a mode of prayer, we are praying, sometimes prayers in our life are provoked by something that is dismal that's happening in life or perhaps in someone else's life. And so it provokes us to prayer. Oh God, touch them. Or oh God, touch me. <laughs> What's going on in my life right now? So some bad things, dismal things, sometimes provoke prayer. But there is not the dismal or the bad or the cloud of doom and despair that's provoking Paul's prayer right now. Paul's prayer, I would say, is a proactive prayer. He's not praying because there are problems or because there are situations in the church right here, but he's praying some prayers that's going to hedge in the church, so to speak. He's praying some prayers that's going to keep the church remaining the church because he said, I, I heard of your faith in Jesus Christ. Woo, thank God for that. And he said, your love for other people. I mean, th those are some good uh, external fruits, if you will, of someone that's in the church, not just their love for God, but their love for other people. That's biblical, amen. And Paul's saying, so I'm going to pray for you. Why, Paul? There's nothing going wrong. That's right, there isn't anything going wrong. But I'm praying that whatever you got started right here is maintained. Uh -huh, I'm going God to prayer. I'm not praying, Lord, and behold, there's people that's jumping out of the church. No, I'm praying to somehow safeguard from that happening. Uh, I'm, I'm working upstream, as Bishop sometimes says, God is working upstream. Uh, I'm praying to keep, keep that from happening. So I'm saying some prayers to head you in. And, and Paul had a little bit, you would seem a little bit of a backward approach uh, to in this particular chapter because instead of first just, just relaying to you and I the awesomeness of the church and then telling us, hey, when you're a part of this, here's the fringe benefits, he first started with showing everybody what the fringe benefits were and then he concentrates on the church. So he almost has a little bit of a, a backdoor approach to all this. But in his prayers that he is praying uh, for the church, praying that the, for those who actually became a part of the church, uh, he preceded uh, his prayer with thanksgiving. The Bible even tells us in the scripture that he, he sees not to give thanks for you in verse number 16 and making mention of you then in my prayers. So preceding his prayer was thanksgiving. And we see throughout the epistles this is a common approach with the Apostle Paul that his prayers normally do uh, or are preceded by thanksgiving. If you will, Colossians 4 this evening in verse number 2 states this. It says, continue in prayer and watch in the same, meaning prayer, with thanksgiving. 
So there's a connection there seems to be between prayer and thanksgiving. We also see in 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 17 and 18, the Bible says, and here Paul, the writer of Colossians and Thessalonians, he says, pray without ceasing. Matter of fact, in the writings of Paul, I like Paul because Paul constantly underscores how prayer is not a, a touch-and-go act. It's a continuing prayer, pray without ceasing type of mentality. Give yourself diligently to prayer. It's not a pray when you want to or pray when things are bad. It's just pray and pray every day. Pray consistently, pray constantly. And he says, continue. And in prayer in Thessalonians, he says, pray without ceasing. In verse 18, in everything give what? Thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. So there is a close connection. I'm just writing for all the visual people. There is a close connection between thanks, just to keep me from writing thanksgiving, and prayer. Paul many times had these two coupled together. Thanksgiving or thanks and prayer. And thanks does this. Thanks looks backwards to the past. Thanksgiving looks backward to the past. Whenever Paul was given thanksgiving, he was considering what, God, what prayers God answered in his past. How God came through in this episode. How God uh, did what to, in his mind was against insurmountable odds in this episode. So he's given thanksgiving. And you know what thanksgiving for the past answered prayers are doing for Paul? It's doing nothing more but germinating faith in him for the prayer. He is about ready to pray because prayer for the most part usually looks to the future. It's looking to something that, yeah, it's in the now, but it's probably the answer may going to be, you know, very few times, very few times have there even been in Scripture. Here's the prayer, boom, there's the answer. It's happened. Hezekiah turned his face toward the wall and wept and prayed to God, boom. Here came, uh, you know, Isaiah back in and saying, the Lord's heard your prayer. I don't know, but I don't have the Isaiah uh, relationship or something because that just, or Hezekiah relationship because that doesn't happen with me every day or most days or any day for most of the time. You know, I pray and it's always something future. But whenever I start with God in my prayer with some thanksgiving about things that, you know, like little push pins I can put on a bulletin board that I, this was the handiwork of God. You know, there's some things you can look over in your life that you, without a shadow of a doubt, you can put a big star right there and you say, I want to tell you what, that right there is absolutely because of the handiwork of God. And when we begin to give thanksgiving concerning those things and our faith builds, son, we get a little more demonstrative and a little bit in our prayer about what we're willing to ask God for. Because when we start to remember what he's done, we start to know then there's no impossibility of asking whenever you start asking for God. And so Thanksgiving's looking at our past and prayer's looking for, forward to our future. Amen. To our future. The Bible says in Philippians 4 and verse number 7, here's Paul again. He says, Be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with what? Thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. So it's almost, he almost given us a little formula here. He's, he's given us a little mo, give thanksgiving. It'll build your faith and you're able to pray and, and touch heaven. But I believe he even draws some of his information from our Lord Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ, even in his earthly ministry, illustrated the very same principle of connecting thanksgiving with prayer. Thanks. With prayer. Consider, if you will, the story where the Lord goes to the tomb of Lazarus 
all right? He goes to the tomb of Lazarus, been dead for four days. But notice what Christ does before he calls Lazarus out of the tomb. Amen. He gave some prayer. He did some things. John chapter 11 and verse 41, the Bible says, Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, this is seemingly a prayer, Father, I thank thee. Thanksgiving. Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. And I knew that thou heardst me, hearest me always. But because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. Now here's something very important to note though in the mode of, uh, of the steps and the formula in Jesus Christ. We have thanksgiving, we have the prayer, but you know what happened at the, the tomb of Lazarus after thanksgiving and prayer was made? Resurrection. Uh-huh. Jesus gave thanksgiving, he gave a prayer, and resurrection power came after thanksgiving and prayer. I believe Paul understood a spiritual principle. He understood a spiritual truth, and he applied it, amen, because he wanted to see the church. He's praying for the church. He's wanting to see the church have full possession of the benefits that he spoke to us just prior to all this. Amen. Because in order, listen, in order to keep the church alive, in order to keep the church alive, or if you will, in some instances, to see the church resurrected. I'm talking about the church. To see it restored back to the privileges and the fringe benefits that Paul spoke of. (laughs) To be a part of that church, sometimes it takes thanksgiving, That precedes prayer. But when you couple the two together, you're going to get resurrected power for the church. I'm talking about the, I'm even talking about First Apostolic Church. If we seem to get lulled asleep in a mode of dormancy, deadness, you want to bring resurrection power back to First Apostolic Church, give thanksgiving for what God has done in our past and pray for some things for the future and by the principle of Jesus Christ himself, that generates resurrection power. And that brings back some of the fringe benefits we talked about last week. Redemption, inheritance, seal of promise. Amen. So this is the reason then why Paul, he's given thanks, he's given prayer. Amen. Because he wants the church to be possessors of those fringe benefits. He wants them to be more than say, yeah, that belongs to the church. He wants them to be able to say, that belongs to us because we are the church of the living God. We are in Christ. And as long as we are in Christ, whatever belongs to Christ belongs to his church. Whatever belongs to him belongs unto me. And I think we, sometimes we take some very simple principles for granted just as that, that if it belongs to him, and I am in him, and he is in me, then it belongs to me. Amen. Hallelujah. Everything my wife has today belongs to me. (laughs) Amen. There's some skirts. I have some great skirts and purses that I'd love to show you. I don't wear any of them, but they belong to me because I'm married to her. Amen. 
You better be God. You better be glad God isn't like some relationships today that people enter marriages and what they have is theirs and what the other one has is theirs and there's no crossing over. <laughs> Amen. Because if that's the case, we'd marry and us paupers would still be paupers. And his riches would still be his riches. I'm glad though whenever I become his and he becomes mine, what I have is his and what he has is mine. Amen. <clears throat> My wife, we used to have this little, I know that's what she's thinking. She's laughing there. We used to say before we got married, it was just a little thing we did. It wasn't nothing truthful about it at all. Said what yours is mine and what's mine is yours. And we say, except for the money. It was just a joke. We have one account that the money goes in. Yes. Amen. <clears throat> so, so Paul, it's, you know, it's not every day this happens, but Paul is praying and he allows you and I a seat in his prayer room. Have you ever got a little conscious whenever you was praying and thought maybe you thought, well, I didn't hear somebody else praying over there. They're sitting there and they're listening to me pray. Ah, oh, you know you have. Hallelujah. You chose your words real wisely and got the silver tongue going and all that. But Paul has purposefully let us in. He's pulled back the curtain and let us in on his prayer. He doesn't just simply tell us he prayed, but he tells us what he prayed. What he prayed. For the church. Look what he prayed in verse number 17. He says, and I'm going about midway. He says, speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ and God, our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me just start from the beginning. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, verse 17, the Father of glory may give. This is what he's praying for the church. May give unto you, the church, the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Paul's praying that the church would be given a spirit of wisdom and revelation, but it's very, so, so, so let, let's just consider, uh, one of these erasers are better than the others, but uh, let's consider these things. Here's what he's asking for the church. He wants them to have a spirit of wisdom. All right? And revelation. But it's important revelation it's important to note, though, how that is to come about. Notice how these gifts are to be given. He wants them to have a spirit of wisdom and revelation, but how are those gifts to be given? The gifts of spirit and revelation are obtained through knowledge. Mm -hmm. So I want them to have a spirit of wisdom and revelation, but those things are going to be obtained through knowledge. The, the exact wording of Scripture is, in the knowledge of him, him who God. I want them, I want the church to get wisdom and revelation by their knowledge of God, through their knowledge of God. Now, remember, Paul has just shared with us last week concerning all the knowledge, if you will, of the fringe benefits of being in the church. So he's given us knowledge about the fringe benefits of being in the church. But now he's praying, not just informing, but he's praying that we would have knowledge of the giver, God, more so than the benefits that he just shared with us last week. You know, there's a reason for that. There's a reason that Paul was designed that the church would know God more than just having a knowledge of the benefits of being in the church. 
Because if they would truly concentrate and focus on knowing God, the benefits are a byproduct of knowing Him. Can someone say amen? Because we have down here, this is the church. Remember, the church are the us, I know, in Him. Remember that? In the church are the benefits. I'm just making this so we can all see this. So this is the on him. Let's put up here, this is God, all right, which is him, okay, us in him. So whenever we are in him, God, we become the church. Inside the church are the benefits. You know what people try to do? You ready for this? I know, here it is. Look at that. You know what people try to do? They try to come down here and privilege themselves with the benefits that belong to the church without ever having a relationship with God. And there's a lot of frustration along this line because the redemption we talked about last week, you can't have that without having this. You've got to have that in order to have this. The inheritance we talked about last week, you can't get there by yourself. You got to pass through right here and have a relationship in order to have the inheritance. The seal of the promise of the, of the Holy Spirit, the earnest, if you will, of our inheritance, all of that, that's done. There's people that's constantly trying to go this line, get all the benefits that belong to the church. But you're not the church if you're not in Him because the church are us that are in Him. You can't have the benefits of the church without being the church and you can't be the church without a relationship with God. There is no way around it. You sever your relationship with God, you sever your benefits of being in the church. That's right. That's right. So Paul is praying here. Again, it was a little bait and switch for Paul. And... Even for those who were already in the church, I'm going to tell them about all the benefits. You ever went to a job for interview and somewhere along the line, you know, maybe it was hiring time or whatever, and you maybe kind of, you know, what, what's the benefits? Because sometimes benefits take up for whatever there may be lack in pay. Because that's money, let me tell you right there. You want to know what, what type of benefits. And sometimes even whatever the list of benefits are can weigh heavy in you taking or refusing the job. You know what Paul's doing? He's saying, here's the benefits. Here's the benefits. Well, these people are already in the church. That's all right. I want them to stay in the church. Here's the, uh-huh. here's the benefits. Here's the benefits. Here it all is. Oh, man, that's great. I like that, man. I enjoy that. Yeah. Woo, I've experienced that redemption. Woo, yeah. That's great. He says, that's great. He says, you can keep that if you stay in God. Keep a relationship with God. You ever lose out on that? You lose the benefits. And if you like them that well, keep your relationship right with God. So we prayed that they would have knowledge of God. Know God. Know the giver. And for the unbelievers that read the list, might pique their interest just a little bit or pique their attention a little bit. Because there's a little mystery unraveled there. Amen. We know that every good and perfect gift cometh from, the Bible says, above, from the Father of lights, in whom there is no variableness, neither any shadow of turning. Amen. They're distributed freely for whoever is in him. And there is a, there is a big contrast. 
Especially we have this running thing through Ephesians of being in Christ, being in Him, being in God, being in, in, in. We have this running thing. There's a big contrast because, see, he's combating the two different separate points of that you are either in Christ or you are in Adam. Those are the two places that you're going to be in. You're either in Christ or you are in Adam. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, 22, for as in Adam, all died. In Adam, all died. Even so, in Christ shall all be made alive. There's a big contrast between being in Adam and being in Christ. In Adam, all die. Being in Christ, all are what? They are all will be made alive alive so the, the concept of the Ephesians and this is something big for the Ephesians to bite off of this is something real big for the people of, of Ephesians to bite off of because Paul is telling them that they can know God he's telling a bunch of people who worshipped an idol the great goddess Diana worshipped Diana who brought their sacrifices to Diana did their service unto Diana had this constant interaction with a non-living God. <laughs> and, you know, their relationship with her was really a surface relationship. They could not know Diana. How do you get to know a piece of wood or a piece of stone or a piece of goat? Yeah, I know a piece of goat. I mean, come on. How do you get to, I mean... How do, it's a real, real surface relationship. You know, how do you get to know a piece of gold? You can't. So this is this idea that Paul is telling them that, you know, you can know God. And out of your knowledge or knowing God, you can have benefits. They're like, whoa. Diana, yeah, we go up there, we've seen her in, you know, certain respect, but we could never say we knew her. And so in the Ephesians' mind, they're probably even asking without opening their mouth, just in their minds, I can know God? Mm-hmm. You can know God. You can know even the perks and the benefits and the privileges that God has. Amen, for you. And so it, it, it's a dangerous zone, and Paul was trying to combat that. It's a dangerous zone then for people to crave the benefits without having any relationship, listen, with the benefactor. Naturally, naturally today, if you're going to be a beneficiary of someone's estate, someone's inheritance, it is usually because somewhere in the line you are a, in some type of relationship with the benefactor. You might be a son or a daughter or a mother or a cousin or even a friend, but people usually don't give portions of their inheritance and estate to no one they have relationship with. Some may, Sister Angie Gray, some may. But m most even-minded people, <laughs> all right, was not going to dissolve and give part of their inheritance to someone they don't have a relationship with. And so how do we expect God to give us all the fringe benefits that belong to the church without having a relationship with him? You know, some people almost expect that and demand that, even though they share no relationship. And you know what? This is the crazy thing, folks. I don't understand it. If you do, talk to me after church. You'll help me out a lot. I don't understand how people like that, whenever they're not getting the benefits of the church, yet they don't have no relationship with God, how can they get mad at God for not receiving these 
whenever they're not in relationship with him? What's the deal? Who made you special privileged? Well, okay. Key words. Got two erasers. We're going to shift that one over there because I keep grabbing it. There's some key words that Paul is using here whenever he's talking to us and praying. He's praying. He uses that word knowledge. He also uses this word wisdom. We already got it up here, knowledge. He also uses another word in the, in the next verse, understanding. I've said some real brief things about, about these before. Wisdom, wisdom is the how. Knowledge is the what. Answers the what. Understanding answers the why. And Paul are using these words, and they're connected here in this scripture as they are connected a lot throughout, particularly Old Testament, particularly the book of Proverbs. You see an interweaving of these words of wisdom and knowledge and understanding the how and the what and the why. The how and the what and the why. And so Paul's, Paul's praying that wisdom, that wisdom and understanding, that they would get this through knowledge. Or that their how and why would come through knowledge. The what? Knowing God. Knowing Him. Amen. Based upon that. Here is a, 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 a scripture from Proverbs I want to spend just a little time with concerning these three words and how this relate for Paul and where he is. In Proverbs chapter 24 and verse number uh, 3, the Bible says, through wisdom, the house is builded. I'm going to say built. Through wisdom, the house is builded. By understanding, it is established. And then scripture goes on to say in the next verse, and knowledge, and by knowledge shall the chambers be filled with all precious uh, and pleasant riches. Uh, so I, I basically just boil it down to this. By knowledge, the house is furnished, okay? Furnished. By knowledge, the house is furnished. That, that's a workable order. That's there in the book of Proverbs. That's a workable order. Um, it, 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 matter of fact, it even it almost makes a little bit of sense, you know. Uh, you build a nice little house, you know. You establish it because of the house and its size. Man, we know, we know that's going to need a certain size footer, okay? And we got rooms in this house. And as a result of that, then we put little furnishings in there. Oh, isn't that nice? I mean, how many has ever had a house in a room and you went to look at furnishings and you take measurements because you got to m make sure the furnishing can fit the space that's in the house? Right? You've done that. Well, well, well that, that's understandable order. Wisdom, wisdom, understanding, and, and, and knowledge. But, you know, there is this... Paul, man, he was way before his time. Because there is also something in the known world of design that's a principle known like this. And it was called form. And I really went back in the archives of my brain today on this one. Form follows function. Form follows function. This is actually a design architectural uh, uh, concept and principle form follows function and that is this that many times you build a building based upon what its function is going to be a person that is going to uh, known that the building that they're erecting or going to build or design is going to be a hospital you take some things in consideration in the design 
even in the building and the establishing of that, that, that building because you know the purpose it's going to have. It's going to be a hospital. And so you might design a little differently if you knew its purpose and intent and the furnishings, if you will, of the building were going to be that of a jail. Okay. <laughs> Well, I just be a little differences, you know, and how you design that thing and then everything. But so, but what's happening in Scripture, there, there's something that is going on that Paul is doing for us in the Scripture because he's saying, I want you to get the wisdom and the understanding through knowledge. If we can look at it through the Scripture proverb, he's saying, I want you to know how the thing should be built and how it should be established based upon what's going in it. <laughs> so he says based upon your furnishings he said when you know what the furnishings are you're going to know how the house needs to be built uh-huh and based upon what the furnishings are and how the house is built you're going to know what it's going to need in order to support that type of building how that thing's going to be established now, now watch what Paul was praying that they might know starting in verse number 18 there's three things he starts out that ye may know uh, instances. And he begins to say, what the, what the, what the. And these are the three. Starting in verse 18, he says that ye may know what is the hope of his calling. Number one, he says, I, I want you to know what the hope of the calling is. Number two, what the riches of the glory, and this is so wordy, the way they, that, that Paul writes, but, but it, it's inspired of God. <laughs> what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, I want them to know that. And in verse 19, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us word who believe? So three things I want them to know. What is the hope of his calling? What is the riches of the glory of his inheritance and the saints? What is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe? The answer, here it is, open book test. The answer to all three of these is the Holy Spirit promise. He's already talked about the Holy Ghost. The hope of his calling, it's the Holy Ghost. The riches of his glory, of his inheritance, it's the Holy Ghost. The exceeding greatness of his power, it's the Holy Ghost. Now here it is though. He says, so you know the what? It's the Holy Ghost. He said, based upon that the furnishing is the Holy Ghost, how should that house be built to contain the Holy Ghost? Based upon the furnishing is the Holy Ghost, what should be established in order to take care of the Holy Ghost? He's asking the church this. You all got the Holy Ghost? What type of house should you have in order to take care of the Holy Ghost? What type bedrock foundation and establishment should you have as a church in order to keep track of this furnishing called the Holy Ghost? Knowing that it's going to be able to fit and move and operate. Like it needs to fit and move and operate in the church. Look at Colossians chapter number 1 tonight, verse number 27. The Bible says... Look closely. To whom God, and remember, there's a, there's a very close connection and parallel between Colossians and Ephesians. I said that from the very beginning, the onset. Uh, some places you can see scriptures that almost, uh, they give good harmony to each other. The Bible says, to whom God would make known what, look at this, here's some of the knowns, here it is. What is the riches of the glory? You might need to underline the riches of his glory. That's something we refer to over here. One of the questions, what is the riches of the glory of his inheritance? Uh, that, that, that God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. And he states to us, which is Christ 
in you. I think it was in this lesson we talked about Christ being in us. Spirit baptism. Holy Ghost. You in Christ. Water baptism. Remember? So he says, he says, the riches of the glory, he tells them right away. Which is Christ in you. Holy Ghost. Uh-huh. And look, he even further explains about the Holy Ghost. He said the hope of glory. Well, the Bible said the hope of his calling was one of the questions that you might know the hope of his calling. He said that Holy Ghost is not only the riches of the glory, it's the hope of the calling. The hope of glory. In verse 28, whom we preach warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Jesus Christ. There it is, us in Jesus Christ, you in Christ, water baptism, all right? Whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working which worketh in me. God's working, Christ's working, which is working in me. Look what we're back at again. Him working in me, what? Spirit baptism, Holy Ghost. Him working in me mightily. That word mightily is dunamis. It is the same word translated as power. In Ephesians 1, 19, whenever it asked us about what is the exceeding greatness of his power. So here's all the knowledge. The Holy Ghost is the answer to all three of those questions. So I understand whenever I know the furnishing is the Holy Ghost, wisdom tells me how the house should be built and understanding tells me why it needs to be established. And it's all because the church should have a heart that desires to maintain the furnishings. Now, we don't do this today. Houses are built. It gets all done. People go get their furnishings. And, and <laughs> the, the, you go with your measuring tape. You keep, I know there's sometimes whenever there's something that we're looking for, I keep it in my phone or piece of paper wherever I go. If I happen to be somewhere, you know, you have a handle tape measure, it won't fit. Bomber. I like that so good too. It just won't fit. <sighs> but you know what? In Old Testament scripture, even in the tabernacle in the wilderness, things were backward just like Paul was. You read, you know why they give the furnishings? They give the furnishings and then they give the exterior of the building because they said, this is what we want in it and you just fit the external around the internal. This is the furnishings. And can I say today, as the church, this is the furnishing and we gotta have this. You can't build a house and then say, well, that isn't really gonna be too conducive for this to fit in this house. Well, you can't have it then. You got to find out what you're trying to furnish. Trying to find out what it is you're trying to keep. It's the Holy Ghost. That's what the church needs. That's, what, that's where our power comes from. That's where our hope comes from. That's what we need. We build everything else around that. And if what you have in mind isn't going to be conducive to that, it's time to throw the plans away and get out the pencil and paper and redraw. Because whatever you have built and established, got to be able to take care of that. Amen. Paul even told him, he told him one place in 1 Corinthians 6.19, Sister McGee, in 1 Corinthians 6.19, he said, what? I don't know if he was that flamboyant, but what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost speaking to the Corinthians, which is in you? Which ye have a God and ye are not your own? Paul just been telling the Corinthians to flee fornication, get away from all these deeds, because it's a sin against the body. And I, I, I just believe this in my own uh, mentality concerning Paul right here. I believe Paul is saying this. He's trying to tell them, surely 
you didn't know that the furnishing of this house was the Holy Ghost. Because otherwise wisdom <laughs> wouldn't have built such a faulty structure to try to keep this furnishing. Such a prized furnishing like that, surely you didn't know that you were the temple of the Holy Ghost or understanding would have made you go to greater lengths to make sure there was something to secure that Holy Ghost. I wag my head sometimes and like Paul, what? No, you're not what you're trying to furnish. No, you're not the furnishing you have. You can't have a house to furnish that. You can't have a house like that furnish that. You can't have a bedrock flimsy establishment like that to uphold that. Surely you didn't know this is what was going to be in the house. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I wonder if people really understand what's in the house. Well, glory. Whenever God's spirit is in his church, listen, whenever God's spirit is in his church, and that's where it should be, it's in his church, what facilitates it what establishes it should be at the same level as the furnishing you know you go some places in travels man I've, I've been to some people's homes man just just elaborate just elaborate and I don't remember the last time or if ever that I've entered the home with the jaw-dropping furnishings, Brother Mason, and a house that looked like it needed eviction notice on it. <laughs> because usually the house is usually to par with whatever type of furnishings are in the house. Come to my house, I'll show you. <laughs> Give you a little hands-on training right there. <sighs> Hallelujah. Could you imagine? Could you? I mean, it would be like this, and this is the way it is for Paul's concept. Could you imagine going out right now, no strings attached, buy all your dream furnishings you ever wanted for your bedroom suit, your living room? Could you imagine? Sister Malone being able to go out right now, you have, you have the budget to do it, okay? You can go out any store. I don't care. It can be, you know, Pier 1, whatever. You can go anywhere and start getting and gathering all uh, of the furnishings for your house and then tell the designer, here's everything that's going to bedroom suit. Just make the dimensions that can take care of this. And then whenever it's all done, they're calculating up all the, the, the weight of these furnishings and the building because that's going to tell them what size of establishment, what type of footer they're going to need in order to house all that. <laughs> that's what God did for us. He says, here it is. He says, but in order to house it, you've got to build it like this. He, you know, in, in many ways, God dictates how our houses should be built based upon what we want to furnish or has as contents of the home. If you want a milly mouth every day, second gun thing, you can have a house that can facilitate that. But if you go have the Holy Ghost in the church, operating in the church, vibrant in the church, live in the church, it's going to dictate how the house should look, how the house should be built, how it should be established. <clears throat> Amen. 
This was, idea was conveyed again. I know I'm spending a little time here. This idea was conveyed again in the book of Revelation where we did our study on the letters to the seven churches. Remember Ephesus being one of them. As a matter of fact, the first church that was written to. And remember that Jesus Christ, when he came to the, the church at Ephesus, he described himself as, as the one that was walking in the midst of the seven candlesticks or the seven churches. The seven candlesticks are the seven churches, Revelation reveals. So he was the one that was walking in the midst of the seven churches. What happened? What was the main, what was the main problem? Anybody remember what was the main problem with the church at Ephesus? That's what it was. They left their first love. They left their first, they left their first love. Here's our person up here again. The church at Ephesus. This right here, this relationship, they left it. And when they left that, guess what happened? Benefits went. Paul, about 40 years prior to this, is praying for them. 40 years prior to this is praying for them. Hey, folks, know God. Know the Holy Ghost as the furnishing. Build the house appropriate and proper to it. So they left the relationship with God, and he said, if you can't find that, he says, I'm going to remove your lampstand. You'll cease to be the church. You'll cease to be the church and the benefits along with it. Amen. If, if, if you don't get that relationship of love, because when we cease being in him, then we cease having known him. We lose our benefits. We lose the status of being the church. We don't have an establishment to house it. Um, going on this evening, I might be able to erase some of these things. Going on, there is a phrase that, and this is important, anytime there is a chapter or a book of the Bible that you see a phrase that is very repetitive, you mean like, man, that thing's popping up left and right. That's probably important probably important uh, a phrase that we see in in the in the first chapter of, of of ephesians that is popping up left and right is this word according sometimes it's according to according or according to we have seen this several times just in this first chapter uh, for instance the bible says according as he chose us in him in verse four in verse five it says according to the good pleasure of his will in verse seven it says according to the riches of his grace in verse 9 it says, according to his good pleasure which he hath purposed in himself. In verse 11 it says, according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. In verse 19 that we read tonight he said, according to the working of his mighty power. According to, according to, according to. This according to's meaning, it's, this is not the meaning, it's not out of like you might consider a portion it's not that its meaning is basically proportional to proportional to so whenever we read through this you know it's not out of the good pleasure of his will but proportional to the good pleasure of his will not out of the riches of his grace but proportional that's a dynamic difference to the riches of his grace. Look, look in our, our setting of verse number 19. It's not out of or a portion of the working of his mighty power, but proportional to the working of his mighty power. If we can set in our minds, perhaps to demonstrate the meaning of this a little bit more. If a billionaire gives you $10, he's given you a portion. He's given you a out of his fortune, okay? That would be a portion. 
But if that billionaire gives you a million dollars, he's given you in proportion to his wealth and to his riches. <laughs> God and everything that he's divulged concerning the riches, the blessings, the benefits, they're not a portion of what he has. They are proportional too. Mm. They are proportional to what God has. Amen. Proportional to his will. Proportional to his grace. We're, we're, the measuring stick is his. Proportional to his grace. Proportional to his purpose. The power he's given you is not a part of or a portion of his power, but it's proportional to his own power, and he has all power. Hmm. Some would say yes. He, he's all doing. He's all the time doing this stuff, working after the counsel of his own will, doing according to his own deed. He didn't have a counselor. Nobody told him what to do. There's nobody giving him instruction. He does of his own volition what he wants to do. Amen. Uh, w. Leon Tucker observed and said it like this. He said, back of the will of God, there is not a word. In other words, beyond the will of God, there is not a word. He said, his will is the secret and the sequence of it all. And he related this scripture, and I like this scripture, of Romans 11 and verse number 30. The Bible says this, Romans eleven thirty six, 36, Sister McGee, uh, if I, you have it. For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. <laughs> speaking of God, speaking of our Lord Jesus Christ and Savior, for of him, everybody say origin. For of him, origin, and through him, everybody say organ. Organ. And to him, everybody say, object. <laughs> Are all things to be glory forever. Amen. He's the origin of it all. He's the organ through which it is distributed. And he's the object of it all. That's God. Amen. The Bible speaks of, and I don't know where I'm at. 45 minutes have elapsed at least. <clears throat> Someone says, oh yeah. <laughs> that was my mother, wasn't it? <laughs> Look at verse look at verse number 19. The exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe. The word power there is dunamis, which means miraculous power, which is basically illustrating to you and I <clears throat> the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit. And then he says, the working of his mighty power. The word that is used there in the Greek means dominion, strength, or might. In other words, what we received in the Holy Ghost, what we received through miraculous power is proportional to his dominion, strength, because he said according to, proportional to his dominion, strength, and might. And his power, he has all power. There's not another power like it. His power is an unparalleled power. Therefore, the gift of the Holy Ghost that you and I have received, it is unparalleled as well because it's proportional to his power. And that power is an unparalleled power. So the power that we have received is an unparalleled power that's been granted to you and I. And he said, that power by which I have given, that power by which I've done all these things is the same power that I demonstrated for you, that God demonstrated for us whenever he raised Christ from the dead. And he said, by that same power, we, you and I, are raised from the dead. How? Spiritually, why? Because we were dead in our trespasses and sins. He said, by the same power I raised Christ's physical body up, I'm raising your spiritual body up and physically someday if you go by way of the grave. 
by that same power. There's not going to be a substandard power that's going to do that. <laughs> There's going to be a proportionate power that does that. And he said, so much power have I even given to that Christ that I raised up that I set him on my own right hand. And again, folks, whenever Stephen said he's seen uh, Jesus at the right hand of God, God is a spirit. God doesn't have a literal face. He don't have a literal arm, a literal finger, any of that. Whenever that's spoken, that's just speaking in terms. We know what a finger is, a face is, a right arm is. Terms in which we can understand. Amen. God's a spirit. You don't have a literal any one of those. So whenever he said he set him at his own right hand, there is not a literal hand of God. God fills all space. You tell me what is the right side of God. It's just symbolic language. And whenever things are spoken of on the right hand, it's speaking about position. It's speaking about authority. It's speaking about power. And customarily in the culture of this day, rulers that wish to esteem their subject place them at their right hand. You know what? Everybody that day then is going to understand then. Whenever you're talking about they place him at his right hand, he's esteemed him. Amen. Even Old Testament scripture. I'm running along here because I want to finish. I don't want to carry on until next week on this one, folks. All right. Exodus chapter 15 and verse 6. The Bible says, Moses is speaking this. Uh, here is Pharaoh and the army that's just been drowned in the Red Sea. This has been great. And Moses cries out, Thy right hand, O Lord, is become glorious in power. That thy right hand, O Lord, that dash in pieces the enemy. So Jesus was in a position of power. You know why it's at the right hand of power and authority that he esteemed him? Because since Jesus was the one that provided the body, therefore providing the blood that remitted sin, that's powerful. The blood that was in the body of Christ purchased the church, esteemed him in a place of power and authority because the body provided the blood for the remission and for the purchase of the church. He goes on and says he's taken him, he set him there above all. What? Above principality, power, might, dominion were the words that he used. Remember, these were sometimes different levels or grades of angels, amen, in their setting and in their time. Remember, Ephesus was a demonic stronghold. They had their little witch books and their charms and things that they had. It was a demonic stronghold. And so what he was relaying to these Ephesians, what it meant to them was this. There wasn't any power there at Ephesus that exceeded the power of Jesus Christ. There wasn't any power there that they had been exposed to, time present or time past, that exceeded that of Jesus Christ because he's above all principality and power, might and dominion. Look, in this world and the world to come, in the physical world and in the spiritual world, he had all power over principalities, power, and dominion. What is he setting the church up for here at Ephesus? And I'm feeling the Holy Ghost. What he's setting the church up for, speaking about these things in preliminary terms, he's setting them up for Ephesians 6, where he tells them, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness and spiritual weakness in high places. But don't worry, the Christ you have in you is above all principalities and power and dominions. And Mark, he's setting them up to understand you're the church of the living God. Christ's spirit is inside of you. You don't have to fear. You don't have to back up. You're the church. Woo! Mm. All things are under his feet. Old Testament reference again. This, this, is, this is imagery from Old Testament. Cultures of their day. Joshua 10, 24. 
Here is the relation of it. Because in Old Testament times, the practice was this. It was common for a victor to put his foot on the neck of the defeated, the enemy. Look at Joshua 10, 24. It bears it out. And it came to pass when they brought out those kings unto Joshua that Joshua called for all the men of Israel and said unto the captains of the men of war which went with him, Come near, put your feet upon the necks of these kings. These were the enemies. These were the ones that were defeated. And they came near and put their feet upon the necks of them. Here is Paul. Imagery from Old Testament and times of old. He says, I put all under his feet. Every enemy, every adversary, every... Hmm, every sickness every disease every financial difficulty just put your feet upon the neck I put mm -hmm, hallelujah I put it all under his feet but if you are in him if you are in him that makes you the church and whatever is his is yours and if they are under his feet if you are in him they're under your feet somebody raise their hands right now and claim all that power that we have through knowing him hallelujah Jesus hallelujah Got five minutes before it's 8.30. I'm going to get there. Okay, folks. I know. That writing on the board was what takes more time. Seriously, it takes time to write. If you, if you subtract all the time it takes me to write, we'd probably be done with less than an hour. Someone's going to tally up the time just next time to prove it right or wrong. I see it already. You already did? Okay, let's just make sure. So. I'm just joking. So it's no surprise that Jesus has power over the natural world and over the spiritual world, having power over those things then, that he would be made the head of the church in a sense of being the authority and the power of the church. Or if I could say head of the church in power and authority, but also head of the church as being the source of all things of the church. Everything that the church has, its source is found in him the head everything the church experiences it's found in him being the head <laughs> if <laughs> here we are Jesus he's the head here's our body oh Lord help us this is even a little bigger <laughs> the church He rode one too many horses in his life. He's a little bow-legged, but it'll be all right. All right. The church should not, will not experience anything that does not find its root in the head. If the church is experiencing something or doing something that doesn't find its root in the head... Perhaps its head is not this. Again, this is why we must know him. 
if the church even isn't what it was, then perhaps it stems from not keeping in relationship with this. On a natural level, all the body's direction, drive, whatever you will, is taken from the head. My right arm doesn't move without my head telling me, telling it to move. Look at this. Watch this now. I lay my hand on a hot stove. My hand doesn't say move. My head tells the hand to move. You know why people cause further injury to themselves, supposed being the body of Christ? is because they detach themselves from the head and they keep their hand there. And nothing's given them direction when to get out, jump ship, turn the other direction, run. Because they separate themselves from a relationship with the head. Because direction comes from the head. John 15, 5. We're getting there. We are, seriously. I'm not lying. I am the vine, he says. This is the good little vine talk that the Lord had. The vine and the branch talk. I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him. The same bringeth forth much fruit for without me you ye can do nothing without me ye why because your direction comes from me so if we're operating without that and we happen to be going in the right direction let me tell you it's pure consequence and circumstance because there's times you go in the wrong direction too but you think it's right because nothing's directing you otherwise so here's the importance then so then the power and the authority power, the P&A the P&A, the power and authority then that's in the head look, is distributed to us when we become a part of the body the church in the gospels We've seen the power of God working through the man, Jesus Christ, in his public ministry. Did we not? However, though, in the book of Acts, we see that same power. Same power. I say same power. Same power. Working and being demonstrated in the lives of the disciples. Why? Because in Acts 2, they become a part of the body. That's the reason why in Acts 3, Peter and John's going to the temple. Uh-huh. And there's a lame man. And all of a sudden, he's healed walking. How did that happen? Because they're connected to the source of the power and the authority. Uh-huh. That's how then in Acts 12, whenever Peter was incarcerated, prayer was made over in Mark's mother's house. And as they was praying before they know it, rap-a-tap-tap, what's happened? Peter's at the door. How did that happen? Because there's power and authority. Because they're part of the body. And stand with me this evening. So Paul's prayer was this. Know God. That's basically it. Know God. Know that you house the Holy Ghost. And if you're going to have the Holy Ghost, then you're going to have to have a building that's going to have to facilitate that thing. Because we're not cutting corners on the Holy Ghost. (laughs) It's not like you can go get a different size to Holy Ghost. (laughs) 
Praise God. Ellie, Brother Mason, if you'd come. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.